0: that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to speak to you today about something I think I've never spoken to you about before, and that is celibacy, this peculiar form of life adopted by priests and religious in the church. It's under attack, you know, right now, Some are blaming the sex abuse scandal on celibacy. If I had another hour, I'd go into all the reasons why I think that's a crazy point of view. What I want to talk about today, though, is why celibacy is a gift for the church. That's the first point. Celibacy is not simply something for priests and religious. It's for the church. It exists for everybody, all the baptized. Also, I think our gospel for this Sunday, in a very interesting way, sheds light on the nature of celibacy. There's a very bad argument for celibacy, which has raised its head here and there in church history. Even today, some people defend it on these grounds. It goes something like this. Sexuality, married life, is at a lower level of perfection. Priests and religious are called to the highest level. They are spiritual athletes. Therefore, priests and nuns should not be married. It's a silly argument, but more than that, it's a dangerous argument because it's repugnant to Catholic metaphysics. What do I mean? I mean the Catholic view of the nature of reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God saw what He made, He found it good. He saw the totality of what He made, and He found it very good. The doctrine of creation means that whatever exists is good, perfect, integral. A reflection of God speaks of God and points to God, which is why Catholics don't fall at their best into the trap of dualism or Gnosticism or Manichaeism. We don't say the spiritual realm is good and the physical realm is evil. We don't divide the world up into good and evil. No, no. All of it comes from the hand of God and therefore is good. This very much includes the body, sexuality, the pleasures of the body. Nothing wrong with any of that. All of it good and reflective of the goodness of God. You know, my hero, Thomas Aquinas, stated this with his customary Laconicism. He said, being and good are convertible terms. A Fancy way of saying, whatever is, is good. So we can't try to justify celibacy on the grounds that somehow sexuality, the body, the pleasures of the body are less than spiritual, less than good. But you know, Christians, there's more to the doctrine of creation than simply the affirmation of the world's goodness. There's also this fact. Precisely because the world is created, the world is not God. Precisely because the world is created, nothing in the world is God. It all reflects God, yes, all speaks of God, of course, but none of it is God. That means I should never make anything in this world the ultimate value of my life. This affirmation, too, runs right through the Bible. When the prophet Isaiah, speaking in the words of God, says, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts, and my ways above your ways, says the Lord. The transcendence of God, the otherness of God, is affirmed by all the major figures in the Bible. There is, therefore, this wonderful tension right at the heart of our doctrine of creation. Everything is good, but nothing is God. Let me say that again. Everything in the world is good, but nothing in the world is God. This bipolarity, this tension, runs right through the whole of Catholic life. Where can you see it? Well, the church holds up the arts. It holds up music. It holds up the beautiful. It extols nature. You can see it in the glories of the liturgy. You can see it in the ceremonials around the pope, the church's affirmation of the world. And you can see it in the way the church honors the austerity of Francis of Assisi, the rude simplicity of Mother Teresa. Yes to the world and no to the world both at the same time. Now, why am I discussing all this in connection with celibacy? Because this truth applies to marriage and the body and sexuality. We're not dualists. All that is good. And none of that is God. All of it reflects God None of it is ultimate. Which is why the Bible and why the great tradition over and over again insists upon the spiritual value of detachment. I know I've spoken about it before, detachment. Never making anything less than God into God never making any worldly thing, any worldly good, any worldly pleasure, the ultimate in your life. We remain detached from all these things. Doesn't mean we hate them. No, no. Doesn't mean we fall into dualism. But we are very clear on the nature of creation. One more step. Very often in the Bible, when God wants to make vividly clear to his people some great truth. He will choose a person to embody and act out this truth. One of the best examples is the prophet Hosea. God chooses the prophet Hosea, and he says, I want you to marry this woman. Her name is Gomer, and she's a prostitute. I want you to marry her. Then I want you to live among the Israelites, married to this woman. Why? Because I want you to symbolize my fidelity even to unfaithful Israel. So Hosea does it. He lives among the people married now to this prostitute as a living sign of this truth. So, celibacy. Does God choose certain people? single them out so that they might live out the truth of the detachment from sex, body, marriage for the sake of the whole church. Again, not dualistically, not to say these things are bad, but to insist that these things are not ultimate. These things are not God. See, we can proclaim that truth abstractly, Now, you could write books about it, you could proclaim it abstractly, but people will feel the truth of it when they can see it. Who, therefore, is the celibate? The celibate is someone who, in his own life, in his own body, witnesses to the fact, listen now, that there is a love, greater than even the intensest love we can experience here below. The celibate, by eschewing, by setting aside marriage and and family and sexuality, is not saying those are bad things. He's saying there is a type of communion. There's a type of intimacy. There's a type of love which is so great and so intense that in comparison to it, these worldly intimacies are as nothing. Celibacy is an eschatological sign. There's the technical term. It just means a sign even now of what will be the case in heaven. A sign even now that there is a good there's a love, there's a form of life that we aspire to beyond this world. Celibates make it clear, visceral, bodily, and real, which is why I said earlier, celibacy is for the whole church. The fact that there are priests and religious moving among the people of God is a constant sign to them of this eschatological truth. Now, I mentioned the gospel for today speaks of this. Now listen, it's that famous kind of odd story where there's Sadducees who are trying to trip Jesus up, and they propose to him a sort of test case. It was customary among the Jews of Jesus' time that if a man died before fathering a child, his brother was obliged to marry his widow. So the Sadducees propose this kind of odd test case. Suppose there's a whole series of brothers, and each one dies before fathering a child. They've all married the same woman. Which one in heaven will be her husband? What's Jesus' response? Listen. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those judged worthy of a place in the age to come and of resurrection from the dead do not. They become like angels and are no longer liable to death. The children of this age marry and are given in marriage. Good. Appropriate. No biblical person would ever have bad-mouthed in any way marriage, and Jesus doesn't. The children of this age marry and are given in marriage. Good. It's appropriate. Right. Right. But those judged worthy of a place in the age to come become like angels and are no longer longer liable to death. They are not given in marriage. There is a love. There is a unity. There is an intimacy that is so intense and so beautiful and so transcendent. And that's the unity of heaven. That's the life of heaven. Who are celibates? People even now, people even now in this world living among us, who by their detachment from the great good of marriage and the great good of sexuality, witness to this truth, speak to the whole world of this truth, making it not abstract, but making it real so we can sense it and feel it now. And Christians, this is why celibacy is, as I said, a gift to the church. Why we should honor celibates. We should love them. Because they are witnessing to us a truth that we need to hear, that we need to know. The intimacy and love that God holds out to us beyond even the best Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.